Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. San Francisco Fire Chief Joanne Hayes-White retiring after, is it 15 years? 15 years. Which is a remarkably long tenure for a big city fire chief, but uh, that is not the most remarkable thing about your career. So today I want to talk about some of those remarkable things, ups and downs, um, hear your reflections on the past, and maybe some predictions for the future. So welcome. Again, it's really nice to have you in studio. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Pleasure to be here. You're you're retiring on, on May 5th, and there's a story behind you choosing that date. Can you tell us why May 5th is significant to you? Sure. So I chose May 5th. Uh, not only does 5-5 in the fire service mean out of service, but that was interesting. Uh, I also like Cinco de Mayo. Uh, but the main reason I chose 5-5 was it is uh, sort of a my tribute to Mayor Ed Lee, who I loved working for, and it would have been his birthday on May 5th. It was his birthday. Uh, I think he'd be 67 this year. Uh, a lot of people say, I don't know if you share this opinion, but that he worked so hard that he gave his life for the city. And it made me think that not everybody gets to leave a job like yours on their own terms. Agreed to both of those comments. So uh, Mayor Ed Lee was uh, such a hard worker. Um, he led by example. He expected a lot of those that he worked with, but he expected the most from himself. And I think um, what was most appealing was his dedication and his work ethic. And I had said it the morning that he died, and a few people have repeated it, but I said his ordinariness made him extraordinary because he was literally like the guy next door who cared so much for this city. And if anyone deserved retirement and relaxation and golf, and he loved to golf, and he loved his family, it was him, and he didn't get that. So um, that has stayed with me since December 12, 2017, that I'm feeling very excited about retirement. I'm feeling very proud of all that's been accomplished. It's a change department, certainly since when I came in in 1990. And I'm feeling very grateful because exactly what you said, Jenna, that not a lot of people get what I get um, as a department head and going out on their own terms and, and, and feeling really good about leaving and having sort of this time of transition where I'm helping the new chief, uh, Chief Jeannie Nicholson, transition into this role She's a deputy. She's she's up for the task. But this month of, or a couple months since I announced now, four or five months, of just uh, appreciation for what my job is and just hearing from people that they're grateful for um, for the work that I've done. Would you say that, and we want to talk about the next chief and we want to talk about your plans for the things you are looking forward to in retirement, but on that subject of getting to leave on your own terms, would you say it's a fair assessment that if somebody has nine political lives, you've used up a couple? 
you survived a few? I would say so. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't enter the fire department. I didn't think at all about politics. And, of course, it's become that because when you're working as a department head, particularly in this city, um, it, it can be political. So, yes, I have um, I have survived. And um, resilience is, is a term that, that I think of a lot. Um, I'm also, like I said, I'm very grateful because lots and lots of challenges in this job, and I'm sure we'll talk about it but far more rewards. And what I came into this job as a firefighter in 1990, 26 years old, was to help people and uh, help someone along the Embarcadero this morning on my way to uh, to be interviewed by you. Um, I love that aspect of the job and um, feel very grateful that I've, I've been able to serve for, you know, I'm in my 30th year. I just completed 29 years. So um, the politics part of it has been sort of like navigating through landmines, yes. Um, but again, I, I come out at the end and I see the light at the end of the tunnel. So very appreciative of that. Now, this was a little bit before my time as a reporter in San Francisco, but hadn't the city been or the fire department been forced to recruit and, and train women? Was, were you part of the, that sort of first wave? I was, and that's part of a, the result of a federal consent decree. So the SFPD had hired women at least a decade earlier. Um, and there was uh, a pretty homogenous group in the fire department, and uh, it took a court order, a federal consent decree, to mandate that there be a more diverse department comprised of women and more minorities. And so I definitely was part of that consent decree. I believe it was in effect from about 1987 through 1997, about 10 years. So I was one of the first females hired in the department. The, the thought of joining the fire department um, was not something that Growing up in the 60s and 70s, I just turned 55, I thought about being a firefighter. I always loved the engines that would race by my house. We lived near a uh, fire station, and I live right next door to where I grew up, so still hear the, the fire engines. And I was always intrigued, but it was never something that I considered a career opportunity because of the, the lack of women in that occupation at the time. I mean, you could almost write just a book about that, right? To say from the day that this consent decree came down to 2019, where we are now, what do you think has sort of been the legacy of that policy this many years later? Right. So, and ironically, Mayor Lee was tied into that. In fact, often he would, as, as you know, because I know you interviewed him a, a number of times, he would joke and he said, if it wasn't for me, you would not have your job uh, <laughs> as firefighter and as chief. And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, when he was a young lawyer with the Asian Law Caucus, they were one of the um, plaintiffs that sued the, the fire department to make sure they had a representative workforce. So... You know, when the consent decree went away in 1997, I think there was concern that there would be some backsliding, if you will, that those sort of those goals or those numbers wouldn't be achieved. And if anything, one of the things I'm most proud of is the diversity of our department. We are the most diverse department, fire service department uh, in the, I say the country, but really the world. We have 16% women in uniform, uh, which is far beyond, certainly Boston and New York have less than 1%, but even LA which you think would be more progressive, has about 3% women. There, you have Phoenix and Seattle that have nearly 9%, 10%, but we far exceed uh, women in uniform, as well as minorities, uh, over 50% in our department. I've seen how it makes a difference every time we respond. Uh, certainly, uh, sometimes for a confined space rescue, you want a smaller statute, either man or woman. You know, I think in the old days, you had this view of four strapping six foot four guys and I've seen time after time I played a lot of sports growing up and everybody brings something to the team 
you don't want everyone looking the same or having the same talent or skill. So sometimes when you need a more agile person, a smaller statured woman or man will, will do better than a large person. And time after time, particularly in medical emergencies, and that's what we're doing about 75% of the time we respond, to have someone that can convey medical information or obtain medical information in another language is hugely important. Or sometimes even just to have uh, the same gender when you're responding to someone with a very sensitive medical condition or injury or illness, it does make a difference. It sort of adds a little bit more calm to, the, to an emergency situation. So diversity in our department is, is something that I'm very, very proud of and I'm sure will continue, particularly with my successor, Chief, Chief Nicholson. You also said, and this is something that Janine Nicholson mentioned at the announcement of her hiring, that 75% of the time when you leave a fire station, you're not going to a fire. Correct. You're going to a medical call. I was surprised that one of the first things out of her mouth when she talked about challenges and the future and the job as she sees it are dealing with homelessness, which, of course, contributes to a lot of those medical calls on the street. Yes, medical well-being checks, that kind of thing. Absolutely. I don't know that it is the first thing that comes to most people's minds when they think of a firefighter's job to work with people who are going through homelessness, right? You think flames and... Absolutely. I think most people think we're responding to fires, which we do, but we're, you know, we're sort of an all all hazards department, if you will. I mean, we... Fires are, fortunately, because of more stringent building and fire codes, we haven't seen necessarily a rise in them. They were, you know, 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, the city was burning. Um, we still have a fire problem, if you will, because of a lot of the wood frame construction and older construction. But more often than not, what we're doing is we're responding to medical calls. They could be in the home. It could be an auto accident, a bicyclist. Uh, we see a lot of injuries on the street, but you're absolutely right. And num- I'd say in the last 10 years, the number of responses has hugely spiked for us when we respond to the homeless population. If you'll excuse me, I need to take this. Let me see if I can. This is Jenna. Hi, Jenna. This is Freddie. Hey, how you doing? So I have I have a guest to agree to join the program. This is your lifestyle. <laughs> you know, that old show, right? Yeah, this is your yeah. Who I, do we have? I, pr- I promise. <laughs> uh, hold on, let me plug him in here. Let me see if I can do this correctly. Okay. Okay, are you with us? I am. Can you hear that voice? I can. And do you recognize that voice? Why don't you say hello to Joanne Hayes White? Hi, Joanne. This is uh, retired police chief Greg Sir, and I, I understand you're, uh, you're on your victory tour, and I had to call and congratulate you. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I know, I know, you know you've been the, the best fire chief we ever had in an institution, and you're, you're riding off into the sunset for a well-deserved retirement, but uh, I was no sadder when Willie Mays left the Giants or Joe Montana left the Niners. <laughs> it's going to be a big loss for the city. But uh, good for you. Thank you, Chief, sir. Wow, that's a nice category to be in. Uh, how are you today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I, just. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of surprises, uh, listening, but this is a nice. Listening to KCBS one. as usual, and uh, you know, heard you and Jenna chatting it up, so I thought I'd call in. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Chief. I, I part of the reason that I was excited you in particular agreed to this is that the two of you kind of represent for me a different era in San Francisco, where so many of our 
city leaders came up together through Catholic schools on the west side, and maybe they had athletic rivalries, but then they all kind of joined the city family, and maybe they went to USF or Santa Clara or whatever, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they yeah, ran well, for the mayor. The two of us did. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I wonder how the two of you would describe those traditions that that you came up in and and whether you think they are still just as actively contributing to the sort of city family, the city political fabric, uh, and and the leadership of of San Francisco. So we had five years together. Is that right, Chief, sir? I believe we had five years. You you tripled me up, yes. (laughs) So five years we were both chiefs. But Greg has always been someone that uh, I always looked up to. A little bit older, a few years older than me, so it wasn't like we hung out or anything in high school. But I think we shared a lot, and we continue to share a lot of pride and love for both of our respective departments, but for our city. And um, thank you for kind of categorizing the, the time that we were together. It's um, because of that pride, we, we were very serious when we needed to be, but we also had a very good time. And we're very proud to, to serve the city that we were both born and raised in. And I think, I think that's value added. I don't necessarily think it's, some people think it's this club. Um, for, for, for me, and I would say for us, we... Um, we, t- we kind of took it to another level because we know the city so well. Um, most the, the two of us pretty much drove ourselves around. Uh, and I, that's something that I think I just automatically did that because I know the city so well. I don't need someone to show me where I need to go. And so maybe a little, we're both paramilitary organizations, but maybe we, uh, my style is a little bit less uh, militaristic and more, collaborative. I think Greg's was as well. I think that's why Greg um, is beloved in the city and will go down as one of the greatest police chiefs that we've had. Do you uh, think thank that, you for that. Do you think that's you know, true? I, yeah, I would totally agree with Joanne. You know, our folks and grandparents and past that raised us to just love this city. And, and when you come in, you know, your folks just say to make sure you leave the, the place that you are in the, and the city better than you found it. And certainly that would be the case with Joanne. And, you know, our friends and all uh, talk about keeping you humble. If, if either of us had ever had a driver, uh, I think we would have just been shamed everywhere we went as if we lost track of where we were going, like Joanne said. So, I mean, I uh, plus it left one more firefighter out there to, to help people and one more police officer out there to help people if somebody's not driving us around. Uh, I, I think that Joanne would agree that where it really all came together and the city shined probably like no other day was on that Bat Kid day uh, when, you know, Mayor Lee was like, absolutely, let's do it. And Joanne, you know, whatever we could do. Uh, Melinda Haig was the U.S. attorney at the time. She was all in and Dave Johnson from the FBI, all because uh, a little boy uh, had a wish. And the whole city, I think, I think it got like touching moment of the the year for Time Magazine nationally. It was just, it was the perfect day, I think, for both Joanne and I, where, you know, the the city just came together, uh, regardless of all the other, you know, issues and concerns that face us uh, in San Francisco. Do you think, am I am I stretching it to say that this is a different era, the, the one that you came up in? Is it a bygone era, or is it just one of, one of many cultures that contributes to the leadership ranks of of San Francisco today? You know, my grandma was uh, born before the earthquake in the city, and she used to say that, you know, all kinds of things uh, uh, come to San Francisco because it's such a great place and all the good stuff sticks 
and uh, all the people that are just sort of passing through because they think that they're going to make a dent um, being here short term. She says that all kinds of, kind of always faded away in her 104 years. So uh, I, I think, you know, certainly we have issues and concerns facing the city. I think uh, leaders like Joanne that took the fire department through a decade and a half um, are, are definitely the fire department better than she founded in the city, too. Uh, we have a lot of less fortunate people right now in the city. We have a lot of uber successful people uh, with a lot of money in the city right now. And I think when it sorts itself out, San Francisco will end up in a better place because it always has. Unless there's anything else that you wanted to add, I'll leave it there. On uh, that, on I, I, that I tell note. you what, uh, she, she knows that I love our fire chief. And I just want the best for her and her, her sons as she moves into just a, a well-earned retirement. God bless, Joanne. Thanks, Greg. Love you. Take care, you guys. Thank you so much. Former police chief of San Francisco, Greg Sir, and a, a one-time colleague of yours. I know you don't love surprises, but... That was very nice. Greg, I'll take a call from Greg anytime. And I would just add to, to what you, the question that Greg answered is that I think it's a nice blend, both... I know certainly in the fire department, but police department too. I love when I can hire people that are from this city or the Bay Area that have a, a love and affinity for where they grew up. Uh, just as much as the fact that that has departed a little bit from the old days and that that's pretty much all you had, you know, when I first came in. But now we have this completely great blend of people that are coming from um, other countries. I've hired people from other countries, from other parts of the United States. And Again, it's it's the, the rich blend of people that I think make the quality of the service that we're able to provide. So it's kind of a nice combination. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to know your way around every nook and cranny of the city, but it shouldn't be a prerequisite, right? Yeah, correct. And I think um, and that just kind of triggered something when, when then-Mayor Gavin Newsom appointed me. I was 39, uh, 14 years on the job, was not actively seeking the chief's job. And I think what he saw in me was someone that would very much respect the rich history and tradition of the San Francisco Fire Department, you know, paid professional department since 1866, so 153 years now. Um, but someone that wouldn't just be bound by that uh, and be willing to, to take it to the next level where respect the history and tradition, but move it forward in a, in a more modern, progressive way where, where you don't have this old guard and, you know, old boys club exclusively and, and bring in some some modern ideas and, and mix it up a little bit and that's you know looking back um, saying to someone the other day as I'm reflecting on my my career some of the days have been very very long very fatiguing but now I'm in this surreal place where you look back and the years have flown by they really have when you look at when I'm going through my files and saying oh yeah I forgot I worked on that or whatever but I'm very proud of just the department that we've become it's um, very very much um, a mix of people and it's it's different than than almost any other field in that you have to have these folks that you know 99.9 percent .9 of the time i'm so proud of the work that the folks do out uh, on the streets they're very well trained they work well together but it's a challenge and it continues to be at times much better than when i um when i first took over you have competing personalities as well and these are 24-hour shifts that our folks are working so there's different religions there's different politics there's different food likes all of those things in the in the non-emergency setting, those are the more challenging approaches. But what I've tried to do is, is say, you know, everyone has their is entitled to their own opinion, but you need to be respective of different opinions, and we need to all get along. And 
um, you know, there's 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 some challenges that remain, but I think generally people feel very welcome. You know, women feel very welcome to come into this department now. Um, and when it, you know, it excites me when a, a young girl on the street, like I was, you know, many, many years ago, sees that fire engine go by. They don't just think, wow, how cool. They think, wow, how cool I could do that someday, which I never thought about back then. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm very, like I said, as I look back, I'm very proud. I'm very grateful. And, um, you know, I love the department and I love the city and I, I intend to, a lot of people said, well, are you going to move out of the city? And I said, no, born and raised here and I'll, I'll stay here. I would never ask you that. <laughs> you, I can't you know imagine me. that you would ever. Not going I may travel a bit more, but uh, I'm, I'm going to reside here forever. Let's talk about how you're leaving things for your successor, Janine Nicholson. Um, what challenges you see ahead? I know I'm sure you're trying to leave the department in as best a condition as you possibly can, but what are some of the challenges ahead for her and, and for the department? So I think she's, she's getting off to a good start. She's selecting uh, some new team members. Uh, her deputies uh, will both be, well, she was my deputy, so she's replaced her position. And she's selected another deputy chief of operations, which is pretty typical in any new administration. I think this time, uh, and I've apologized a bit to her in that um, it's very unique to have a someone in my position for 15 years. I was reminded that the 15 years before I was chief, there were five chiefs. So I think some of the, the folks that are in our department, I'm the only chief they've ever known. Um, and so that in and of itself is, is a lot for her to, to, to take over. She will... Um, I'm hopeful and, and pretty confident that she'll take with her some of the things that um, I've advocated for. So um, particularly the, the diversity piece, um, the promotional exams that I was able to get back on track. She's going to follow a lot of my lead on that, but she's going to make it her own and she needs to make it her own. Um, I do think she is keenly aware of the homelessness problem and how that impacts uh, our call volume um, and also the, you know, the, the toll that it takes on uh, you know, any increased call volume takes a, a physical and mental health toll on our on our uh, members. She's also very keenly interested in, um, a, as I've started, I think she's really going to take the lead on peer support and uh, stress in the workplace over the course of one's career. You know, we see situations that most people will never see in their lives and how we deal with that and um, how we keep ourselves healthy so that when we're at work, we're healthy, and when we're at home, we make good, healthy choices as well. Because of trends in urban firefighting, there just are not as many fires. There are more medical calls. Like you said, 75% of the time you go out the door, it's for a medical call. But I do have to wonder, too, about that 0.001% of the time when you have to be at your absolute peak performance, which is a major disaster, right? Here it is around the time of year that we think about the 1906 earthquake and fire. Because we're thinking about preparedness at this time of year and because maybe if you're not fighting fires every day, how prepared is the San Francisco Fire Department for that 0.0001% of the time when the disaster strikes? So I think we're very much better prepared than we, we ever have been in terms of just awareness. Um, we have a great NERT program, the Neighborhood Emergency Response Team program. And just because you're absolutely right, um, we have not responded to the, the same amount of fires that we saw years ago. And, and that's a good thing, but also do our skills degrade because of that? And my answer to that is that we have a very robust training program. I was the director of training from 2000 until I got the chief's job in 2004. Training is is important for the success of any organization. 
but it takes on an even greater meaning in the arena of public safety. So we train all all the time. Every day a, a firefighter or a paramedic comes to work, there is a drill or an exercise. And just a case in point on that was the Geary and Parker gas incident uh, back in February. We used some tools and equipment that are very, very rarely used. We used our ladder pipe, so it was a defensive firefight. We used uh, multiversal. It's a heavy piece of equipment where, we're again, we're directing a hose stream for, in this case, two hours. It's not something that we typically do. So for me, as devastating as it was, and I, I, you know, I want to be mindful of there was a lot of property loss. To not have any injuries or deaths associated with that fire um, was a great thing. But also what it was is it showed me, um, not that I lacked confidence, but it showed me that how well trained our firefighters are. Those are tools and equipment that we don't often use because we haven't had to because of, you know, fires being, you know, decreased somewhat. Um, but it shows that our skills are very, very sharp, and they need to be because we train all the time like it's going to be game day. And, and, and you know, uh, I don't want to jinx ourselves, um, but we all know that it is, uh, we're in a seismically vulnerable area. And it has been a number of years since there's been an earthquake, and now you're seeing that more and more in the news, that, that it's only a matter of, uh, of time. And it's not when, um, it's not if it'll occur, but when it's going to occur. So our departments are working much more closely together. We have a new director of Department of Emergency Management, Mary Ellen Carroll. She replaced Ann Cronenberg. Both of them were very good about being sort of the umbrella organization that brings all the departments together. And we practice and we have tabletop drills and uh, so that we know that we'll be as prepared as possible. And we, we always try and get the message out in April and October that, Every citizen in San Francisco should be prepared to be on their own for about 72 hours and, and self-sufficient because, you know, we pride ourselves on getting to the scene of any emergency within about five minutes. That will go out the window because we'll need to prioritize in the event of a large-scale disaster. And I know that that's keen on Chief Nicholson's mind as well, put it, pushing out the disaster preparedness message. I have a feeling that, God forbid, when that disaster strikes, I will still see you out there even when you are retired. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of in my blood, and uh, I certainly have, uh, I'll know my role. I'm never going to insert myself if I'm not wanted, but I definitely think it'll be an all-hands-on-deck. Chief Sir and I have talked about that. Uh, obviously, we won't be leaders in our department, but we're certainly there to be helpful in any way, whether it's a senior advisor or rolling up our sleeves and doing what we, what we can in our neighborhoods or at the communications, at the uh, operations center. Um, mm. Love this city. And you will be traveling a little? Uh, taking the summer off? Yeah, I'm definitely going to take the summer off. Um, I, di I didn't travel much with this job. Uh, I spent a lot of times, you know, I, I have three wonderful boys. And um, because we live in the city, uh, there was rarely a game or an event that I, that I missed. And the one thing that's great about the phone is that I know that if I need to be somewhere, I'll get alerted. And, and that's about working as a great team. I didn't travel very much because it's difficult to travel and do this job effectively. And back to Mayor Ed Lee, was, um, I was supposed to go with them in the September of 17 to Ireland. I couldn't go. There was too much going on at work. So that December, maybe a week before he passed away, I said, the boys and I are thinking of taking a trip to Ireland. But if I go, I'd need to go for about two weeks. And his response to me, which is why I love the man, was take three weeks. You need to take three weeks. Well, I did go to Ireland with the boys. Uh, we went for two weeks, and it was it was wonderful. And um, I didn't, didn't do a lot of traveling with them while I was chief but did a lot of sort of day day trips, Bay Area trips. So our trip to Ireland last year was very special. 
and uh, we're hoping to go to Hawaii this summer. And just, you know, just dial it back a little bit and, and relax and enjoy and spend a little more time with my mom, too. She lives next door. She's 93. She's amazing. Huge role model for me. Well, please tell her from all of us in San Francisco, thank you for sharing your daughter with us and thank you for your service to our city for this many years. Thank you, Jenna. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.